The text this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place Call on the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, so that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We'll get into a little bit of background on Corinth, and as we dive into a a new book of the Bible as we go through these introductory sermons, but the question for today, not just from the text, but for us, and the question of this series is, how do you live unto grace? How is one supposed to live under grace? I just can't help but think, even of all the the song we just sang and the turmoil of what we see in the news. The solution to that is to live under grace. The solution to that is grace. The context of of this book is that Paul is writing, obviously, to the Corinthians. And what Paul would do as he would go from city to city and he would find the synagogue... And there he would begin to wrestle with the leaders of the synagogue and those who were God-fearers, and they would learn about the the law. And Paul would would bring in grace, the fulfillment of the law. So the dynamic here is an interesting one, is that Paul is is here preaching to the Corinthians, um, going to the synagogue, and, and somewhat saying, you're not living under the law anymore. The law has been fulfilled in Christ. And now, those who are Christians, those who trust in uh, God's anointed, Christ, are in Him, in grace. In other words, when you look at the book of Corinthians, with all the problems that they have, the marriage problems and the legal disputes and the food offered to idols, It's not how do you follow the law as a Christian among a difficult city. It's a totally new question. How do you live in grace amongst a pagan culture? And I think that applies to us. What does it look like to live in grace, under grace, in the world that we live in, in the marriages that we have, in the families that we have, 
And in light of Christ, everything changes. The whole perspective changes. He didn't come to, to do away with the law. What did he come to do? To fulfill the law. So what is it like now in Christ? Well, let me turn your attention. You can turn there if you'd like to Acts chapter 18. Now, this is where we learn about Paul going to the, the city of the Corinthians. We sort of learn about what's happening there. And, and this question seems to apply. That's where this question really came out from, is seeing what happened to Paul on his third missionary journey. So we'll kind of give some of the history here as we go along. It's his third missionary journey. And he goes to Corinth. And you can read the whole chapter and kind of catch up on things. But look at this section from verses 11 through 17. Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God. How? Contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If this were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. It sounds very familiar. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized a man named Sosthenes, a ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. In this chapter, you see that Paul goes to Corinth. He meets Aquila and Priscilla, uh, fellow tent makers, builders, constructors, and stays with them. And after they go to the synagogue and begin to wrestle, you you see what just happened. They have this um, kind of confrontation amongst the Jews. This This isn't good preaching, Paul. This is contrary to what? What's their claim? It's contrary to the law. And it sounds very familiar. This whole scene sounds very familiar to the life of Christ, whose life, uh, a fulfillment of the law, doesn't look like close law following, right? He looks very liberal. He's, He's eating. He's healing. He's celebrating. He's touching the unclean. He's letting us know that the fulfillment of the law is here. Grace has here. And to those who have a mind that just want the law and rules... Grace is uncomfortable. It's, it's sort of hard to make peace with. It seems lax and, and somehow rested and, and somehow almost full of hubris that they have this inside track with God that they are able to act like this. So Paul, in like manner of Christ, is, he's kicked out. We do see that Paul kind of turns there and pivots in Acts 18 and begins to teach to the Gentiles. And he goes to a man named uh, Crispus's home, who was a ruler of the synagogue. He believed in the Lord. Together was, excuse me, not a man, T- uh, Titius Justus. Um, he goes to his house, and they begin to preach to the Gentiles. In other words, that very same question, how do you move from preaching grace to the synagogue? They wouldn't hear it. They literally beat men. They beat a man named Sosthenes. That rings a bell. We just Paul's greeting, he was greeted, the Corinthians, this is Paul, and here with Sosthenes, remember him, he was a ruler in the synagogue, he's kind of a second stamp of approval on this letter, I'm writing to you, now you're living, Gentiles or God-fears, and amongst the pagan Corinth, Corinth, 
however you want to put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, like I've been doing. Um, it's, a, it's a wild place. We'll get into it a little bit more. There's a, a famous you know, temple there, kind of cult prostitution. They're kind of in the thick of it. But the idea is not here. How do we live as rule followers and law followers amongst this culture? It's primarily a different question. As Christ has come in to fulfill the law, and with all the things that are going on amongst the congregation of the Corinthians, how is it now that grace has changed everything? So this book is not about, here's the dispute and things going on, let me go back to the law and let's, let's just apply it and do it. No, it's, it's kind of different. It's pastoral in, that, in, a, in a new way that the New Testament hasn't really seen. It's Paul as pastor applying grace to all these new scenarios. I think the question for us first, before we go any further, is what is grace? What is it? Simple answer is it's, it's God, God's unearned and unmerited blessing. His unmerited favor. And it's so hard, and, and kids, I resonate with you adults, same thing. It's so hard to believe that God actually loves me. God actually likes me. I'm the one with the complex. But God is pouring out and has given us grace. Well, let's ask another question. Is grace a, a physical, tangible thing, like you can just get poured up with grace? Well, no, it's not quite that. But, but we do look to a physical thing. What was the grace? What is something that we can see and, and kind of tangibly listen to and, and, and watch of the grace of God? What is it? It's Christ. It is grace, all of grace, in front of us to see, which is another way of saying, if you want to know what God is like, which is the question kind of through history. With all the perceptions that we have, he's, he's just this distant, ab- absent father. He's like Zeus. He's going to blast me with a thunderbolt. He's cold. He's austere. He's not close. You look at Christ. Scripture says Christ is the face of God. You want to know what he's like? You look at the sun. You look at his arms stretched out on a cross. You see him weeping tears at funeral, a burial. You see him touching the unclean. You see him welcoming children. You see him pardoning guilt. That's who God is. That's who God wants us to see. Our lives now find their entire existence in Christ. Where is our salvation? John 14, 6. It's in Christ. Where is our fellowship from God? John 17, 23. It's in Christ. Where is our nourishment? Where, is, where do we live and move and have our being? It's in Christ. And in Christ, there's grace in every direction. So imagine yourself just kind of suspended underwater or something. And as far as you can kick down below you, it's grace under there. As far as above you, as far as you can reach, it's grace above you. As far as you can go to the right or left, there's grace in every direction. And you didn't earn a bit of it. And you're not, you're not called to pay God back because you can't. So you're not loaded with guilt. I think the only response is kind of worship. It's kind of, that's the only response that's left to you is worship. There's forgiveness and mercy and love and fellowship and hope. 
And this becomes the key to untangling all the mess <clears throat> that the Corinthians have themselves in as a church. And just consequently, apply that to what we saw yesterday in the Middle East. What, what fixes that? Historically, the grace. Churches, preachers, the Spirit working and teaching grace. So let's look at our text for this morning. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 2 through 3. If you notice, Paul greets a divided church, which I kind of laughed this week. Paul's like, what are you teaching on? I'm teaching from 1 Corinthians. One of my first sermons to you guys about a divided church. I was, I was not trying to give the impression that I'm like, oh, this is what they need. You don't seem divided to me. But I do love to see Paul as pastor, applying grace. So in his greeting, what's on the forefront of his mind? What's on the forefront of his lips? What, is, what does he want to convey at the start of his letter and set the stage for the rest of the book? Let's look at the verses again. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you. And peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. He knows he's writing a letter to people who are divided and there's disputes. There's all these things. We'll see even some kind of gross things, some scandalous things. But he just wants them to know that there's grace for him. And because of grace, you know what there is? It's peace. In these nine verses, as we go through this morning, there's a... There's a bit of a dynamic here that I think Paul's playing on as he greets them, and it's, it's a past, present, and future dynamic. He's, he's kind of using these things at play here, uh, a past position, present help, and, and sort of a future assurance. And so let's, let's look at these for a second. The past focus here on this greeting is that Paul says he has, Jesus Christ has called you saints together with all those who in every place Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has called them saints. What is a saint? I think we get a little confused about this in our modern parlance, right? Just historically, we think of a saint as, as an old dead person or you know, some traditions, you know, they, they give sainthood to some people. No, that's, that's not right. A, a saint is someone who's set apart and called by Christ and cleansed and so picture it this way. In, in the Old Testament, um, through the sacrificial system in the tabernacle and in the temple, the, only the high priest could go behind the Holy of Holies. How, many, how often could he go? Just, just once a year. Just once a year, he was allowed to kind of go behind that veil. There was this whole kind of rigmarole of, of being cleansed and being allowed to go in there but now in Christ, we have been called saints. All those who believe on are cleansed with the blood of Christ. The veil of the temple has been torn in two. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can walk into the Holy of Holies. That's very different. That's very different from the Old Testament. It's through no merit of your own, through grace given to you, to the glory of Christ Jesus. Now all those who are called saints 
have access to God. And that's you as well. You have access to God. There's nothing that your, your stuff, if you are in Christ, you are free to walk in. Enter his courts with thanksgiving. And praise Christ. The church is sanctified. They are called to be saints together. Listen to that. They are called to be saints, to live this life now, so not kind of barred and separated and unclean and do all the washing. We're, we're made clean. We're, we're able to enter in uh, the throne room of grace, but we're called to do this together. So you, what does grace look like in a community? We want to be called saints together. Our sainthood, our righteousness, is Christ and not our own. And life under grace means this same Christ-like love to others. In other words, if, if, if I'm filled with, in life together, what we're about to see in Corinthians, I guess I'm, I'm alluding to things we haven't seen in the text yet, but it's coming. If there's divisions and there's quarrels and there's unrepentance and your, your marriage is a wreck and you are bitter and unforgiving, but you're a saint in Christ, you can't be. It's not, it's not allowed. Christ says that in Matthew chapter 6. Right after we do the, the Lord's Prayer, he says, and forgive, lest you be unforgiven. In other words, we, I, I realize it's candy to our ears this morning to hear about the sainthood and the access and the grace that we have, and then how dare we take all the grace and all the benefits upon ourselves and delight in it and then neglect to give it to others. That's kind of the reality that the Corinthians are living in, and that's most of our lives, right? Very delighted to receive the forgiveness of God and consider that person who has repented and who is in Christ, they are a saint as well. They are guiltless, but I will mark their iniquities. Christ doesn't mark mine, and I'm very thankful for that, but I'll definitely keep track of theirs. We're called to be saints together. We're called to be saints together together, not only receiving Christ's love, but relishing it, distributing it, giving it, giving it freely, talking about it, God confirming his calling in us by the way we behave and live. So he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the past kind of element of this, is that you have been made a saint. I would encourage you today, just take that morsel and think it through for a little bit. What does it mean? You've got access to Father, just like a priest would in the, the Holy of Holies. You're, you can enter in. You're a child of God. And in fact, Jesus says, um, he get, he's trying, he, I love that uh, when you look at Jesus' words, he's trying very hard to tell them what the Father is like. And they, and they just can't, grace is just something we just can't can't swallow it, just gets stuck in your throat. You can't perceive it. And he says, at one point, he says, you know how fathers like to give good gifts to their sons? You know, and how, how much more, you know, if a, if a father asks for bread, what kind of dad gives him a rock? Or like a scorpion, I think the text was kind of funny. Jesus says, how much more, take, take me at my word, when God wants to bless you, he's going to bless you. 
He's giving you grace, and therefore let your heart be at peace. Congregation, today, this morning, we should be at peace. That brings us to the second thing, what's kind of the present nature of what he addresses. From verses 4 through 7, Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the present focus. If the the past focus is our kind of atonement and our sainthood, the present focus is that God is pouring out his grace and the gifts that he's given to the congregation. It's my first Sunday here, and I'm getting into the spiritual gifts. What a, what a web. But I think here it's, it's very clear what he's talking about. <clears throat> it says, Christ has enriched you in all things, in speech and in knowledge, in all utterance and in all knowledge. And, and right after this text, by the way, um, Paul says, even of himself, look, I didn't come here when I established this church preaching in eloquent wisdom, but it was a demonstration of the power of God. Okay, so you kind of get what I'm, I'm getting at? This gift that he says isn't uh, a gift that, uh, that doesn't have an end in sight. The gift is given for a reason, and it's that you can do this. God has not only lavished you with grace and forgiveness, but he's equipped you as a congregation to fulfill the task he's given to you. When Jesus tells the disciples, the risen Lord stands in front of them and he says, go make disciples, what does he say first? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples. You're not going in your own authority or your own strength or your own intellect, your own wisdom. You're going in the strength that God supplies. In Christ, the answer is we we have all we need. We're fully equipped for the task ahead. Paul actually prays for this in Acts 18, which we read before. Listen to what he says. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. No one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city in Corinth, Corinth, who are my people. God has given us everything we need to do this. Um, I used to do, you know, drive-by evangelism. That's what I kind of called it. It's like I just felt this gut-wrenching need to, like, discharge the gospel. And so I'd basically, like, just go to random people and be like, hey, great to meet you. Have you heard about Jesus Christ? He, you know, sacrificed himself for your sins. You can be forgiven. This is great. Do you accept it? Do you believe in the Lord? Okay, great. Like, and I did it. And I just felt so much better about myself that I did this drive-by shooting evangelism and just discharged this thing. And there is a weirdness there that we feel. I think you can feel it as a smaller congregation. You can feel it when we have a society that feels like the message we have is stupid, which we'll talk about in two weeks. The truth is, if we trust in the Lord and the grace that he's given us, and the grace that he's given us, he's enriched us with everything we need to bring people into the kingdom. Kids, you, you have everything you need. There's, there's not some magic formula. You don't have to have a seminary degree. But 
Christ has equipped us. Let me, let me read a few other verses from Paul to the same effect. It's, it's a repeated theme. So Ephesians six, eighteen, <clears throat> Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert with all perseverance. And make supplication, prayer, for all the saints. And also pray for me that my words would be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And also for me that my words may be given, um, oh, it's printed on here twice. Words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful and in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Do you guys know that Paul was afraid sometimes? Kind of seems like this bold, brash guy. No, the scripture says he was afraid. Moses says he didn't feel like he could speak well. Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips. That's, that's the story. We do not receive glory for our eloquence or wisdom or prowess. God's equipped us. I do wonder in my own heart if, if I just burn to, to give people the message of the gospel. I think I don't frequently because I don't trust that God will work through me or I'll seem like a kook or I'm somehow bothering them or that God wouldn't save them. But look at your own life. Who's, who spoke to you? What did they say? Was it in powerful words of eloquence and wisdom or was it someone who was just faithfully preaching the gospel? So our past is secured. Our present <clears throat> is filled with help. I want you to look lastly at the, at the future nature of this greeting. It's really warm for a congregation that he's also rebuking. It's a lot of warmth here, which is how we should deal with one another. Verses 8 through 9. Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the future focus from this text. It's, it's really encouragement in all ways to build up the church. It's that they are sustained to the end and marked as guiltless. Philippians 1, 6 says, And I am sure of this. Listen, listen to this. I am sure of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is not working on you in, in vain. And as frail as you feel, which I understand that, and as marked as your testimony may be, and as sort of filthy as you may feel, take heart. He who began a good work in you is not going to let you go. It, it would dishonor his own work and his own character if he could somehow call you and then lose you. And, and he will not do such thing. And in the last day, when judgment, which we all kind of know is, is coming, we, we sort of have the Adam and Eve cloak yourself mentality, just hide behind something. The, the scripture says he will present you because of his son, because of the, the unmerited favor, the grace of Christ as, what's the word? Guiltless. 
so many times I've thought about like the, the last judgment as this picture of standing there and then your record is just kind of broadcast and I feel so embarrassed. You ever felt like that? How self-centered is that? Like that's the one thing I'm worried about in heaven is that I'm, my shame is going to be broadcast and I'm going to be embarrassed and also that I get to hear the dish on everyone else. Like that's just not what's happening. Um, in the consummation and in the judgment, we are presented as washed in Christ. And the record for us is guiltless. And here's the thing that's hard to believe, is it's not just in the final day. Yes, it's at the finish line, but it's also today. That changes everything. Because a life of law, and kids, if you think that church is about growing up under Christian law, you know, maybe not Jewish law, but we're just kind of, we still have rules and regulations, that's, we're doing it wrong. Because the truth is, is that we are entirely under grace. We are under the favor and blessing of God. And whether it's, we'll see in this book about what are we, what are we to eat and drink and how are our marriages to look and what does love look like? The entire perspective has this filter on it of looking through Jesus and seeing that everything's okay. Positionally, you are flawless. And if you can't believe it, it's probably because you're looking at yourself and you have to stop. You have to see your Savior who has clothed you entirely. This is the way we are to love others as well as we live under grace. And finally, we see that he's faithful. And sometimes to see God's faithfulness, it takes, it takes a little bit of life with him. Um, scripture commands us to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Just throw yourself. That's what, kind of what faith is. Kind of like you sat down in that chair. You saw it. You plopped yourself down on it. Faith is sort of a giving yourself of a resting in what Christ says he's going to do. Sit down in that chair and find that it holds you up. Go taste and see that he's good. That he's not only going to hold you in the end, he hasn't just given you some kind of insurance card of future salvation. He has presently equipped you for everything, for life and godliness, for fixing your marriage, for living amongst our community, for bringing those into Christ, for fulfilling the Great Commission, for raising your kids, for repairing wounds, for dealing with suffering and hardships and loss. To see God's faithfulness very clearly, like I said at the beginning, it's to look at his son. God has not left us under the curse or even under the anxiety of the law. But under the blood of his son, he has left us now in a situation where we are under grace. This morning, you are positionally a saint. You are presently equipped with everything that you need for this life. One day, you will stand, because God has preserved you, again an act of grace, completely guiltless. Let's respond in worship.